Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here... Please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support Creative Control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape, both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. I'm an open book, keep it look, ain't got shit to hide. I'm an open book, take a look, learn from my line. I'm an open book. Anthony Obie is a prolific and well-respected hip-hop artist who currently spends part of his time living in Brooklyn, New York. Originally and proudly from Houston, Texas, Obie has been performing under the name Fat Tony for close to 15 years and has been cited as one of his hometown's greatest MCs to ever do it. In 2020, he released two incredible albums, a collaboration with Tadex called Wake Up, and also Exotica, which was released under his own name. So far in 2022, Tony has released at least six singles, including Open Book, which came out on July 7th, and he's scheduled to headline a show on July 15th at the final edition of Kazoo Fest, which takes place throughout Guelph, Ontario, between July 14th and 17th. 
Tony and I caught up for a good talk the other day, and we uh, got into things like Houston's history as an eclectic and inclusive music city, how he's been personally impacted by the pandemic and COVID-19, what Guelph is like, his attraction to outsider artists and rebellion and hip-hop and punk, among other music genre signifiers, why he loves Prince, becoming friends with a hero like Bun B, many of his forthcoming releases, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you with whatever it is you need. Say you want to order some Fat Tony records. Let's just put this scenario out there. You want to order some Fat Tony records. Who do you go to? Maybe Blackbird. Go to blackbird.ca and they'll help you out. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 701 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Fat Tony with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing, sir? I am well. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, where in the world are you today? Right now, I'm in Brooklyn, New York. But don't be fooled. I'm from Houston, Texas. That's where I was born and raised, and that's where I claim. No matter where I am in the world. All right. Well, no, that's fair enough. You're representing Houston. That's what you want to establish right off the top. Always, because it's such an important place. You know, Houston has given me so much... As a resident, as a music fan, and as an artist, I'm lucky to come from a place with such a rich music history. Now, what, tell us a little bit about that music history. Some of us know UGK, some of us know Scarface. Uh, I, I think those are notable people for you, correct? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. for me, when I think of great Houston music, I think of those artists that you mentioned. I really think of the 90s and the 2000s. You know, yeah. artists that I came up loving from Scarface to Dem the Dude to UGK to DJ Screw and screwed up click members like Zero and Lil Kiki and Fat Pat. You know, that whole screwed up click late 90s era that was happening when I was in middle school and very conscious of music and the national explosion of Houston rap music with Swisher House and songs like Still Tippin', artists like Paul Wall and Mike Jones and Chameleonaire and Slim Thug, that happened the entire time I was in high school. So I feel like I had a lot of confidence from my local surroundings to pursue music, yeah. even as an independent artist or an experimental artist or an alternative artist, because what we do in Houston is very different from the rest of the world. Hmm. How would you further distinguish that, though? Because I, from what I understand and from your, the music I've heard, you are an open-eared music fan. There's no genre signifier that pins you down. There's nothing like that. Uh, your listening habits, uh, they reveal that as well. So 
Tell me about that aspect of Houston. Is it particularly diverse in terms of what we have come to recognize a kind of, you know, music genre? Yeah, I mean, Houston is very diverse musically. I mean, Houston has such a rich history in every genre, from rap music to gospel to funk to rock like ZZ Top to country like Towns Van Zandt. I mean, there are so... I mean, the blues, too, like Lightning Hopkins. There are so many great artists who are part of canon who -hmm. come from Houston in every genre. Yeah. But what I was kind of referring to earlier about being kind of different or left field or alternative, I mean, look at Screw Mm -hmm. and and rap-a-lot artists like Devin the Dude. I mean... Screw is basically an experimental music artist. He's basically an outsider artist, but his outsider art was so beloved that for a long time, it became the face and the sound of a huge, prominent metropolis. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Something like that can only happen in Houston, I think. I think Texas artists are often, you know, you often find noise artists from Texas and experimental artists and outsider artists like like Jandek or Blackie, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think it's no surprise that those personalities come out of our swamp. Now, why do you suppose, what is that, uh, you know, as you're speaking about ZZ Top, I had some guests on the show recently. Uh, do you know this band Spoon? They've been around a while. Uh, look at yes, it. I do know Spoon. I actually have been uh, recording with their drummer, Jim Eno. Oh, nice. Very nice. That's great. Well, Spoon... Uh, as we're speaking, July 7th, uh, by the way, I, before I get too much further, I, I was going to bed last night and it crossed uh, midnight and I look at my phone, you've got a new single out, July 7th, open book, congratulations on putting out what I, thank you, what is this, like your sixth <laughs> single of the year or something like that, I feel like, I, by my count, is that about right? Yeah, man, I'm just on a thing right now where... I want to put out as much music as possible. Yeah. You know, I've always been really focused on albums. I'm more an album artist. Yeah. But I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to designate everything towards an album. Yeah. If I have a great song that isn't attached to a project, I still want it out there. And I think now more than ever, people have the patience and the tolerance and the appetite for more from the artists that they like. Yeah. So I just want to do that more, you know, just like something that I put out totally on my own. This open book song, it's produced by Young Skirt. It's kind of a vulnerable song. It's about a person who gets some great advice from an older friend, whether that's family or a homie or an OG or whatever. You know, someone that's really going through it, someone that's battling demons, that's, you know, having a lot of troubles. And the good advice that they get from this person really opens their eyes to the possibilities of this world, opens their eyes that things don't always have to be so down and fucked up or, you know, worrisome that there is hope at the end of this all. Just to to, to sort of uh, home in on that, is that a first-person narrative? It is a first-person narrative, I should say, in listening to the song. Is it derived from your own experience or are you adopting a narrative voice? Uh, I know this can be a blurry line, but... From your own perspective, is this something you were expressing on behalf of yourself or were you adopting a, a character's voice? I think that when I wrote it, I was just adopting a character's voice. Yeah. But at this moment in my life, it feels personal because mm. I'm, I feel like I'm coming out of a, we're well, not coming out of it. I'm still kind of in it. I've been in kind of a 
dark period since 2021. Just so much grief, so much loss of friends and family, Mm. you know, personal troubles, financial troubles. I mean, I think that I speak for all of us globally when we say that this past year or two has been very tough on us mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And when I was going through songs I haven't put out yet, I came across this one and I thought, wow, this really speaks to how I'm feeling now. And I think it speaks to how people are feeling everywhere. Yeah. You know, this is a song me and me and Young Skirt made this song in like 2018. Oh, so it's going back a ways, but it's still relevant today is what you're saying. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, for what it's worth to hear it from me, I want to express my um, sorrow and sadness uh, at any hardship you in particular have been enduring. I think you're, it's noble of you to uh, point out the fact that you're not the only one having a hard time uh, these past few years, but it sounds like there's been a lot of adversity for you personally. So again, for what it's worth, I'm sorry to hear that. Man, I really appreciate it. But yeah. um Yeah. Yeah, you know, I and I think that there's power in sharing what we're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you can't like like when I was writing this song, I consciously wanted to say stuff that I wasn't exactly feeling at the time. Yeah. Like I wasn't having a drug problem or money problem or but you know, I know that those are common things that can lead people towards you know feeling like they need some help and i feel like throughout this pandemic i've seen tons of substance abuse suicide depression you know i've i've just seen people in my community hit from every angle and i want to keep putting out music like this music that really speaks to people that can be something to make you feel less alone well i think that's why so many of us look to art in general uh, it's to help us make sense of uh, an illogical world, if if you will, or get some respite from it. But again, like I say, the, and personally, the music and the art that speaks to me uh, it, the most does or tries to do what you're suggesting you're trying to do, which is convey a shared consciousness, a shared feeling, put something out there that might resonate with people going through uh, what you're going through or what you're thinking about. So for what it's worth, again, I I commend you for it because yours is the kind of work that I think a lot of us need right now to get us through the days. I'm sure as a music and art fan yourself, you've probably been looking to artists to kind of help you through this time. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, every piece of art from books to songs, you know, anything that can be a positive force in our lives right now, I think is really good because we are still, I mean, so, so many of us are still in somewhat of a quarantine. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I am, I'm vaxxed and boosted, but I just got COVID a couple of months ago and I don't think it'll be the the last time Mm -hmm. within the next year because I do have to continue traveling and playing shows and doing what I do. And, um, I mean, it's hard to not be shook a bit knowing that people are still dying by the hundreds and thousands weekly from COVID, especially in our part of the world, in the U.S. and in Canada. Yeah. Well, first of all, sorry to hear about your COVID experience. How was it? Uh, I've been asking, you know, 
there was a time on this show where everyone I spoke to and, and myself would be like, yeah, I haven't had it. And now it's more common to hear from my guests that they have had it. And I get kind of varying reports on what it was like. Um, how was it for you? What was your experience like? So my experience wasn't that bad. This is the second time that I've had COVID. The first time I had it was June 2020. Mm. And when I had it then, I had zero symptoms. Like I was just going to get tested because me and my girlfriend and our friends wanted to encourage more people we know to just go and get tested Mm. randomly just to see if you have it. And we all went to get tested as a group and I came up positive. I had zero symptoms. I quarantined by myself and it was fine. Mm. The second time I actually started to feel a little sick, like maybe two or three days before I tested positive. I was feeling a bit like under the weather and I had just been traveling. I just went to a wedding. Mm. So part of me was like, maybe I'm just tired because I've been doing a lot this week. But another part of me was like, I just feel kind of like I just felt more tired than usual. And my throat felt scratchy in a way that's unusual. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and I and I smoke sometimes. I smoke weed and stuff. So when I have a scratchy throat, I often just chalk it up to that. Yeah. But I went and got tested, came back full blown positive, and I continued to test positive for like a week and a half. But honestly, I didn't get very sick. I had very mild symptoms, and no one around me got it. My girlfriend didn't get it. No one I was in contact with told me that they tested positive. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just one of those things that. You can't always figure it out. Like, it's not guaranteed that you're going to get it from the person next to you that has it. You might get it in the most random way. And I was boosted back in November, so I think it was right when that boost was running out, you know. And it's funny, because I wanted to get my second booster shot. And I went to the pharmacy to go get it. And, you know, at that point, it was only for people who were, like, immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to just lie and be like, yo, I'm, I'm like, immunocompromised. I, like, need this because I knew I had some travels coming yeah. up. But when I got to the pharmacy, my dumbass conscience was like, you can't do this. You're kind of skipping the line. You got boosted, like, uh, like, months ago. Just wait your turn. It'll be fine. And I ended up traveling, and I got COVID. Yeah. So... Yeah. In one sense, I got the immunity that I was looking for, but I just got it the hard way. So I'm always saying to myself, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Well, I'll be frank with you. I'm still recovering from what I think I can only believe is a is a chest cold. And not because I'm in denial, but because every test was negative, didn't have a fever, didn't get knocked off my feet. I couldn't go see the doctor. They won't let you in if you have COVID symptoms because uh, the COVID symptoms, the list is the same as pneumonia, chest cold. I call it, they, they, they here and where I'm calling you from, I got to talk to my doctor on the phone. That's how they wanted to assess me. And so I, as far as I know, never had it, but I still have this like lingering cough, which you can get with, you know, a lingering cough after a, a bad respiratory chest cold. So I don't know what to think. I'm being honest. And maybe the listeners who have been paying attention to the show for the last month, 
might be like, what? I didn't hear that. Well, I've been editing out the coughing. I've been editing out the sniffling. And in fact, uh, your friend and mine, Rolly Pemberton, was here in Edmonton uh, to do a book launch. And we did a live event. And I wasn't feeling that great. And I told everyone involved, you know, you had to wear a mask to attend the event. I felt horrible about even being there. But I made, he was like, oh, it's fine. I don't care. A bunch of people were like, if you're not, if you don't have the fever and the positive test, it's fine. This is the mentality we're at, where people aren't... See, I feel sheepish. I probably shouldn't have gone to that event, but I checked in with people afterwards. Apparently, no one got sick, but I probably should have stayed home, and that's where I'm feeling bad. And like I say, I still got this thing. So, I'm not... You're not my doctor, Tony. I didn't... This is not a, <laughs> not a medical appointment. I'm just sharing my own experience. I have a little bit of a chest cold still, and it's making me a bit... I just don't know what it is, because the tests are all negative here, so... All this to say, well, we, that's the thing. Yeah, they they say if the tests are negative, and if and if you've taken like every test, it's like you've done PCR and you've done rapid, you've like pretty much done everything that you can do, right? Yeah. Well, they won't. Um, they they don't give us access to the PCRs here. I've only did. I did. Oh, really? No, you have to like. They only. No, man. It's the thing that you're talking weird. about, and I'm. Oh, yeah. It's really bad. I did like seven or eight rapid tests. I will say. And they were all, I did them every other day like you're supposed to. I did the swabs properly like you're supposed to. But no, they 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 discourage it or something. Like they don't, this is where I'm coming from. Everyone's kind of given up. Everyone in leadership positions. Yeah. They don't want us, they don't want to share the information because it's bad, I think. Because we don't, every day we used to, they used to track what was going on and now they don't. So I don't know. I may never know. I, I'm trying to figure it out because... Like you said, your experiences were uh, no symptoms and then scratchy throat, a little bit of a cold. I had sort of the same thing. So I'm trying to like, but I also don't have any hard evidence that that's what I have. And my doctor, based on what I was saying, didn't think that's what I had. Do I go with that? I don't know. Everyone's in denial. Anyway, sorry. Again, this is just. No, no. I mean, it's it's like uh, it's very stressful. And I think that it's important to talk about it and I totally get how it feels like everyone's totally given up and it's just like oh this is just what it is but um but the mortality rates are climbing as you and I are speaking yes yes, it seems to be worse than it's ever been and yet we're not treating it with like no there's no mask mandates there's no isolation requirements you know people are circulating like you said you you went out into the world I still am trying to be like and as again I hate when this these conversations get into this depressing stuff, but it's real. So what are we going to do? There's like a variant that doesn't seem to care if you're vaccinated or wearing a mask. That's what they've, this, this variant that we're talking about now, and I can't remember the code for it because they stopped making them easy to remember. Uh, yeah. Now <laughs> they like B it's like, they're like, it's like battleship. It's like B four five. I don't know what it is, but anyway, yeah, that one apparently just permeates whatever defenses we've lined up. So that seems very bad. Anyway, it's rough. So my girlfriend's dad just had like a weird COVID experience. He had COVID, was positive, had mild symptoms. Yeah. Uh, he isolated for like a week and a half. 10 days, 10, 11 days later, he was negative and was feeling fine for like a few days. And then like the third or fourth day of him feeling fine, he felt really sick again, like worse than before tested again and he was positive again wow so it's like how did you 
become negative, felt fine for a few days, and then it came back. Yeah. You know, maybe that's a new variant. Maybe that's, you know. It's, uh, the reason we don't want to talk about it is because it's extremely frightening and out of yes. our control. <laughs> out of our control. I get that part of it, but I'm also like, and I take no uh, joy in the fact that we could have prevented these variants by just sticking to the plan. Uh, the plan, the plans like that to me. Well, maybe I'm not a scientist, but this is what the scientists were saying as things started to loosen up restrictions loosened up. This is what's going to happen if we do this. If you stop wearing masks and stop staying home, there will be variants and we can't predict what they'll be like. So, again, I take no joy in this. This isn't like a, an, a I told you so moment. I'm just saying if aliens were observing us and our pattern of behavior, you know, over the last couple of years, they'd be like, what the fuck? Like everything, all the writing is on the wall and we don't read it. Yeah. So. Like I think if we lock down. So do you think that if we lock down for another full year rather than just like a year and a half of lockdown? Yeah. We'd be in a better place right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's an infectious disease that spreads by humans just doing human things. And it sucks mm. that we had the brief experience of not being able to do a lot of those things. And it affected a lot of, particularly like in the realm, the realms you and I are a part of, cultural communities that the whole thing is communicating and getting together. But unfortunately, that couldn't happen and there were you know for a yeah. period there were subsidies and people were you know it, i understood that for whatever reason this this sort of strategy was finite although they seem to find money for other things when they need to anyway i don't want to get consp- oh yeah i don't want to get conspiratorial oh, yeah. but i'm just saying yeah honestly i mean that's what every doctor and scientist said like literally this there's not a, any reason to start going back to your office space or going into spaces with large gatherings indoors or what I'm really scared about. I, I was clinging to the masking and being outside, um, mm-hmm. talking to people outside. But uh, my friend, uh, a musician just reported that uh, after never having it, she just got COVID uh, while on tour this summer. And she's been, I think, primarily playing outdoor festivals no not that many club i don't think that many club shows i can't i'm just speculating on that but she made a point of saying just so you know for you covid watchers i think i got this from an outdoor hang i don't think dude i mean yeah. just us being around each other we're gonna get it i mean yeah i know especially if if you go on tour like i just did a tour back in may and the band that i was touring with during the course of the tour, which is about two weeks, they had to swap out like two or three members because members were getting yeah. COVID. Yeah. And, and I think I only didn't get it because I had it the month prior. So I was a little more immune, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I think if you're going on tour now, it's almost guaranteed you're going to get COVID. I know. So it's the decision is, do we live our normal, fruitful lives or is there a way like yeah i think sorry i will honestly say i don't see any more lockdown no matter what now happens i i don't see yeah lockdowns happening again 
even though even though it would benefit the health of people like the sorry my argument this whole time is like yes there's anguish but if you have your faculties ideally you just have to be patient like this thing is a neurological disease or or virus like you lose people have lost to this day like the long covid stuff and people have lost the ability to taste and smell and like that's fucked. Like that's weird. Like so, your quality of life is down because you needed to play a show or go to a show or or whatever. Like this is where I, I mean, I'll tell you, Tony. You like think I used to go to shows. Stop. Well, I I I don't want to, I don't want to be saying this, and I know what it means to to the people that um, count on you know being out there but yeah i mean yes i do i do think that there's nothing to indicate we shouldn't be doing that every like i say every medical expert every scientist is like this is what's happening and it's because people are circulating like there's no other explanation it's not to your point i think now it's increasingly likely that we're all going to get it if we haven't had it already uh, yeah. i think it's more like what this new one with the, the when they say this new variant doesn't even give a shit if you're vaccinated, fully vaxxed, boosted, or masked. Like, that's pretty, that's horror movie shit. Like, that's... Scary. Yeah, that's where it's getting really scary. And I have children, and they, again, this so, so-called so chest cold has invaded, had invaded the house, and some of us are still recovering. Um, yeah. But it could have, it could, again, we're just basing it on these supposed, like, p- potentially flawed rapid tests, and I don't know if we actually had it my son brought it, had it first, and then then I had it, and my daughter had it. My wife had a slight cold. We don't know, because they won't let us do the PCR. Anyway, sorry, this was not uh, meant to be the entire brunt of our conversation, but it's a real thing. <laughs> I'm sorry uh, that you've... No, it is real, man. Yeah. And, I'm, and again, I'm sorry for anyone like yourself who is in this precarious position of like, I got to live. And to live, I got to go on tour. And to live, I got to see people and be in spaces that are potentially not good for everyone's health right now. I'm not dis- Straight up, I'm dude. not discounting the need that you have and that that people have to see things. What I was starting to say there is, I've I used to go to one or two or three concerts a week, particularly when I lived in Guelph, Ontario. We moved to Edmonton. Uh, at the end of 2019, more or less, like the very, very end of December, and then got here for work and family reasons and, you know, tried to establish ourselves in 2020 in January there, and then March, everything shut down. So I feel locked down. I've gotten used to missing out on the stuff I love doing, you know, attending shows, going to things. Yeah. I'm kind of used to it. It, it It's... So that's just my mentality. Uh I don't know what else to say about it, but um, tell me more about Guelph because I'm going there for the first time yes. very soon yeah. for the Kazoo Festival. I had a friend tell me that it's like a college town. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about Guelph. What should I know before I go there to play the Kazoo Festival? So Guelph is indeed a, a university town. Uh, so there's lots of what I find. I grew up in a town nearby there about half an hour away and we were trying to play punk rock music and we were in 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 that town cambridge ontario but it wasn't a university town which meant it didn't have to cater to 
or uh, tend to the needs of younger people, and and, and yeah. in particular, uh, new waves of younger people who are going to be slightly different than the wave that came the year before, uh, if that makes any sense. Totally. So university towns, what I came to realize when I discovered Guelph, because that oddly enough, Guelph is where I first went to started to go to like uh, club shows and and so well, that's not exactly true. I, I had to go to another college town, Kitchener, to see some of my first club shows. But as a like a fifteen, sixteen year old, Cambridge didn't have that. In fact, like I said, it was almost prohibitive. They'd shut you down. Someone would complain if you tried to play a show. So Guelph was. Has was and, horrible shit. Yeah, and so Guelph was revelatory for me as an eighteen-year-old uh, going there, uh, eighteen, nineteen-year-old getting there for university, because you're like, oh my god, you can do a house show, you can play the bar, will let you play the show, no one's going to shut you down, and I think uh, that constant influx of young people has forced that city to react to that and give those young people mm. things to do, but. Still some issues there, like not, it's an older city, uh, not a lot of accessible uh, venues, so that's been a problem. Pretty white town, I will say, and I'm not disparaging anyone there doing good work, but it is. Yeah. Uh, And so, uh, as a person of color, uh, you know, every once in a while, it was pretty good. Like, I loved it, and I miss it now quite a bit, uh, I will say that. Uh, because it has a very, very vibrant and progressive arts community in many, many, nice. many, many ways. Kazoo is definitely, uh, in my mind, exemplary in, on so many levels of that uh, for uh, for for those reasons. And uh, again, um, spearheaded by people who saw a need in their community to make sure that not only were the folks there not bored, but actually inspired. Um, and that that entails bringing artists like yourself into town and trying to nurture the local uh, artist and artistic community. So, again, there will be people who probably have an alternate view of this. I, I don't mean to say it's perfect uh, or that uh, there's not room for for improvement. Uh, but it for me, it was pretty it, it was it's it's where I spent most of my life. I spent more time there living in Guelph where I met my wife where I went to university, uh, where I saw some of the most memorable and sort of life-altering concerts or, 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 or events, you know. Huge, uh, world-renowned uh, jazz festival, the Guelph Jazz Festival, which I urge you to really? I would Google that because the people that that festival has brought to, to Guelph or the Hillside Festival as well, which is more of an outdoor summer festival, happens every July, um, it's one of these things. It's just remarkable in, in a sense. There's not that many. I forget what the pot. It's like 200,000 people, I want to say. Maybe more at this point. Wow. Uh, it's not that big on the one hand, but it's not a small town. It's a city. And it's just like, yeah. I set up, you know, I think you're friends with Nick Thorburn. I sure am. I love yeah, him. Yeah, so Nick, the Unicorns played Guelph uh, on, you know, they didn't last very long, but one of their stops was in Guelph. I set up one of the first nice. arcade fire shows in Ontario, played a little tiny restaurant, and I remember I'd seen them already a couple times uh, by that point, once in Montreal and once in Toronto. In fact, they opened for yeah they opened for a band I was in in Toronto, and then brought them to Guelph because we became friendly. 
And uh, they started their show with Wake Up well before that album, Funeral, it was out. And I just saw, the people didn't even stick around. But I saw, like, people, wow. they were last on the, they ended up being last on the bill, which was my mistake. Should have put them on earlier. But all the local people were like, yeah. I got to go to work. Can I play first? I got to go to work in the morning. I was like, all right, I get. My dad's here. He wants to go. Can we play for, all right, fine. Anyway, they played and wow. they started to wake up and I could see the conversion in the crowd of just like mouths agape. Like, what really? the, f- who is this band? What the hell? I saw it. I, I, It's something I'll remember forever is just watching people react to this. And I hadn't heard them play that song yet because it was new. Um, I saw them do whatever they had up to that point. Anyway, this is the kind of town it is. Like, you know, to see world-renowned artists in that little place, uh, there's a novelty aspect that wears off because you get used to it because you're so blessed with gifted artists like yourself making a, a point of stopping there. Anyway, sorry, I went on and on there. Does that give you a? Uh, does that paint a picture for you? Absolutely. Thank you for all of that. I mean, it sounds like it's the type of city that I love to play. I think some of my most satisfying shows are in those university towns throughout North America. Yeah. You know, they're often a place that is near a major city or near a bigger city, yeah. but they're kind of like an annex of it. And I feel like those audiences tend to be the most receptive to new music, especially to an artist that they haven't heard before. Like they'll actually stick around and they're curious. And I think that it's not just something that's, that, that is, just okay for college kids, but I think culturally people who stick around in those type of cities have the same mentality yeah. and taste. Yeah, exactly. And it's a bit of a, a perseverance against the odds. Uh, it always feels that way when you do something cool there. We, uh, it is about an hour or so, depending on traffic. Actually, these days, it's anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours from Toronto, uh, depending on traffic. Oh, I don't like that. Well, uh, when I, I used like to come back from... <laughs> Toronto shows, uh, uh, you know, if I'd go to Toronto uh, for a show, I could be back at my uh, front door. I drive a bit quickly. I'll tell you that right now. But I could, I could be back. And I could be at my house in like fifty minutes from downtown Toronto. But going there at six p.m. or whatever it is that you know to get there, that could be all over the place, and I'd have to take. Oh, maybe I'll take this version of the highway or this version of the highway. What's going on? That could take two hours. Like it was, it was not uncommon for me to be late, having given myself three hours to get there. Like just, you just never wow. know what's going. It's just a lot of grid. Wow. It's the same as you know. You lived in L.A., I think, right? At some point. Yeah, I, yeah. I lived in Los Angeles for a long time. I've lived. I've I've only lived in major cities. I've I grew up in Houston. I've lived in L.A. I've lived in Brooklyn, and I've lived in Mexico City. Yeah. So I'm I'm used to, to traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one of the ways we started this conversation is I wanted to establish the date because uh, I said, you got this new single, Open Book Out. It's July 7th as we're speaking. And what I was trying to get to is uh, today, also for me, marks a milestone. Um, as we're speaking, I put out the 700th episode of this podcast and it featured uh, wow yeah and it featured spoon and anyway what i was getting and spoon as you may, you mentioned jimino uh brit daniel lives in austin texas you we're, we've been big upping texas uh, today and one of the things that came up in yeah. conversation and you also brought them up was uh, zz top 
And uh, uh, Britt wanted to talk about, he, he did talk about the fact that he recently watched the documentary that's on Netflix about ZZ Top. And I, after that, yeah. I finally, I like ZZ Top. So I finally, after that conversation, I finally watched it. It was great. But I did learn a lot about Texas. And I did learn that ZZ Top, I mean, for those who don't know their back catalog, they think of them as this, you know, big video making singles machine in the 80s yeah. but they had this interesting origin story and they were considered pretty weird and outsider artists and i feel like that's what sorry this is the this is me trying to get back to what you were talking about about texas I, i'm with you i'm trying to figure out about you you know knowing your catalog the way i do what what do you suppose it is about that environment and your own mentality and what you were exposed to that has potentially made you what some people would call like an outsider artist yourself? Hard to pigeonhole, uh, definitely not married to any genre signifiers, uh, and dispute any of this, by the way, if you care to. But what do you suppose it was about your upbringing, your environment, the music you were exposed to that has made you the Fat Tony that you are today? Well, I think zooming out, Houston is a place that's always kind of lived on its own. You know, like we've always had local and regional stars. You know, there was a time where in the late 90s, Lil Kiki, DJ Screw, Fat Pat, Screwed Up Click, Big Big Mo, Big Hawk, all those guys were as beloved and popular locally as a national artist like Master P or Jay-Z or Biggie, you know what I mean? And I think when you grow up in that type of environment, it automatically opens your mind. It automatically makes you open to stuff that you know is, you know, coming from a different perspective, whether that means it's coming from your hometown or from your state, you're always aware that there's certain shit that you're going to be into that the other guy, the next state over might have no idea about. And that's okay. Yeah. I think that coupled with my own curiosity and interest in different types of music just set the way for that. You know, Hmm. my dad is Nigerian. He's not a big music guy, but he loves classic country music. And so I heard that a lot when I would be around him. My grandma, who's my mom's mom, who lived with us, she loved country and gospel music. So I hear that from her a lot. My mom loves um, opera and like old soul music, like Stax Records. And, and she loves the Beatles and early Rolling Stones and rock music. So David Bowie, you know, she she put me on to David Bowie, to Lou Reed, to Devo. Mm-hmm. So I so I feel like I had an interesting mix of music I could discover in my home. I was living in a city that was producing regional music that was very different from everything else. And because I grew up as a little kid in the late 90s and early 2000s, I feel like that's when all type of subcultures and niche music just exploded nationwide from punk music to different styles of rap music to different styles of electronic club music yeah so it was just a perfect storm for somebody who's hungry for more music so i can hear aesthetically almost everyone you've mentioned there i can hear them percolating throughout your discography like on a sonic level however what i'm what i'm also hearing is 
you were drawn to people that I think you are aligned with in a sort of spiritual sense. And what I mean by that is the spirit of rebellion, of making life as interesting as possible and not falling into convention. Would you agree with that aspect of things? Absolutely. All of my favorite artists are people who I felt like did things a little differently. Yeah. You know, my favorite artist is Prince. I fucking love Screw. I love, you know, punk bands like the Ramones or Bad Brains. You know, these are all people who I think in their time, you could easily put them against their peers making music in the grand scheme of their genre and say, hey, these guys are doing something different. Bad Brains are doing something different than other rock bands. They're even doing something different than other punk bands. Screw is doing something different than other rappers, but he's even doing something different than other Texas rappers. You know what I mean? Even within their own ecosystems, their own scenes, they stood out. And I've always been attracted to artists like that. Because for one, I think it takes guts to do that. I think it takes a lot of intelligence to do that, to look at the landscape and and really say to yourself, all right, how can I make something that fits within this, but stands on on its own and really represents me and my unique perspective? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And just as a vague sidebar, my daughter is actually named after the Ramones. Ramona. So the Ramona. Oh, really? Yeah, my, I got, <laughs> cool. I, I was, you know, I was driving, my, my son is older and we would drive around in the car a lot at the time and when we were living in Guelph. And uh, at some point I'd accidentally left one of my CDs in the CD player. And I don't, I think it was the replacements. Of course it was the replacements. And he, nice. and they, they heard it and it wasn't, you know, Rafi or whatever we usually had playing and they were like what <laughs> they were yes. like they were like what is this and i said what it was anyway that kick started a whole obsession with sort of harder rock music for for them and ramones they became obsessed with the ramones to the point where they knew the sequence of every album the first five albums i would say they knew the sequence of the records and would call out the songs wow and would know all the lyrics some of which a little problematic uh 53rd and 3rd and whatnot <laughs> you're like oh should sure. my, my son be? anyway then uh four years later our daughter is born and uh ramona so it just ramones were in the air for a good chunk of time there for us and i just wanted to say that i'm aligned with you and i also will say that through the process of having reflective conversations on this show and just um, at that age where you reflect, I try to ponder or I end up pondering uh, where my rebellious streak has come from, where my somewhat contrarian streak sometimes comes from. Mm-hmm. Do you know where it comes from for you seeking out that spiritual rebellion that I was describing and that you just described? Do you know, do you have a sense memory of like where you were like, wait a minute, this is bullshit. There must be some other way of doing things. I'm just curious if you know where that kind of comes from. I think maybe it comes from my mom. She's really like that. Yeah. You know, she's like, in in her talking about her upbringing, she would talk about pushing back against some of like the stuff that her parents wanted her to do, like like the way she wanted, the way they wanted her to dress or present herself. You know, she would actively talk to me about music and say, I started say things like I started to get more into classical music because I was bored 
with pop music in the early 70s. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I think that that's definitely probably my genetic starting point for, for that. But for me as a person, I think what really flipped my wig was when I started getting into Prince in high school. Hmm. I had a high school teacher, my favorite teacher, this guy named Mr. Garner. He was my history teacher and he was a big music fan and he would always talk about rap music. And I was a huge rap music nerd from new music to old music to music from every region, whether it's from Memphis or Houston or the West Coast or East Coast or Florida or from the 80s or 90s. I was obsessed with it even in high school. So I would talk to this teacher and he would put me on to old rap records I haven't heard and I try to put him on to punk music I liked, like the Bad Brains. Yep. And um, this one day, I, I always knew that he was a big Prince fan. And I like Prince because Prince is like Madonna or Michael Jackson, just the kind of music that if you're born in the 80s, you heard it throughout the 90s on television. You saw documentaries about them. You know, it was obvious that these are some of like the most famous artists in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I liked Prince, but never really thought twice about it. But this one weekend, I decided to really listen to Purple Rain, to the album. And I was blown away by it. Like, it was so catchy. Lots of great melodies, some interesting lyrics, some like really out there lyrics, songs yeah. like Darling Nikki yeah. or like Computer Blue that were like, you know, the lyrics are kind of, they're just weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like lit, like, like how uh, Computer Blue has that intro where it's like two women talking about how they're about to give each other a bath, but they're speaking in like a robotic, very neutral way. And it has, and lyrically, it has nothing to do with the song. Yeah. Then at the end of that song, there's like a backward sample that just plays backwards for like 30 seconds. It would just, it was way freakier than I thought it would be yeah. and not as pop and polished and neutered as I thought it would be for being a famous record, right? That is interesting, right? So I went back to my teacher yeah. and I was like, man, I actually listened to Purple Rain and I really liked it. Yeah. And I told him I also found this album Dirty Mind, which I liked too because it sounded kind of like a lo-fi thing or like a new wave thing or like a kind of punky thing. Yeah. And then he was like, Come to my class early tomorrow. And I came early and he burned me nine Prince albums and it included a Time album. It was like all the Prince albums from his first through the Love Sexy album. Like everything from the first album to right before the Batman album. Right. He even burned me a Time album and some B-sides. Yeah. And he was like, dude, go and listen to all of this. And I did, and from that moment on, I was obsessed with Prince. And Prince was the first time that I saw an artist who could combine most of my music interest into one band. The only thing he couldn't really do is rap music because he's he's like a baby boomer and not from the rap era, which makes sense. Right. But you know, his like music had traces of. Rock music, punk music, R&B, gospel, funk. He has some jazzy stuff. I mean, he's just doing everything that I liked. And I was like, wow, you can really do whatever the fuck you want. I feel like there was a little bit more of a hip hop influence on on the Batman soundtrack, if I think on it. I'm speaking 
with a fuzzy memory, but I just feel like even musically there was more sort of sampling of his own voice, scratching a little bit of more of a speaking a spoken word delivery for certain things. I'm thinking of like the future. Yeah. Like just like some of the song. I love that song. The future. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, what I was going to say, and I appreciate your, I appreciate what you're saying about Prince, but you've cited a few people today um, that are so idiosyncratic and weird. Madonna. We've talked about, you've talked about Prince, even like I, I was flipping yeah. the channels during the uh, NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs on TV. And uh, during the hockey game, I could faintly hear that the PA was blasting Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. It's fascinating yeah. when these weirdo artists are kind of embraced by the mainstream or are superstars. I mean, that must be inspiring to you on some level. Like somehow either the weirdness is going over the mass populace's head or or maybe people generally are weirder <laughs> and interested in cooler shit than maybe we give them credit for because do you know yeah. where I'm coming from? Like it's weird how popular Prince was. You're absolutely right. Uh, because he was pretty I mean the guy would play everything himself often. Like what a talented He's short he Weirdo. was makeup. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like just to- <laughs> totally an independent artist on so like on a level where, you know, if he was around today, he'd be like an indie rock superstar, probably. Yeah. Hyper pop or some shit. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like it's that must give you some hope when you're not that you need it. Like your career is, uh, you know, you're well into making uh, your legacy is already, you know, so strong, if I may. Uh, but Thank you. it must give you some hope uh, that these people were weird and they kind of made it. Is that Does that ever register with you? Yeah, I mean, I think people are attracted to eccentric personalities. Yeah. You know, I just think generally people like that because on one hand, it's like, I can't quite put a finger on that person. There's like a bit of a mystique that makes you curious about what they're really like or how they do what they do. I think people have always been drawn to that, will always be drawn to that. I mean, look at some of our stars that we've had, like Little Richard, uh Yeah. Of uh, Prince, uh Outcast. Uh, you know what I mean? Like people like the person who is expressing themselves in ways that they might not feel comfortable doing, but they can look and get that feeling vicariously through that person's art. Yeah, exactly. Right. I I, I mean, in a negative way, we kind of live vicariously through the weirdness of others, and that sometimes damages those people. Uh, I think that's totally. that's we. I think we're more cognizant of like, like the Kanye narrative was interesting for me because it went from like ha ha ha, what a weirdo to oh wait a minute, this guy is openly talking about his you know bipolar bipolarity and. Yeah. He lost his mother. There's trauma. That, you know, there's lots of pain in all of his lashing out, and and that's been interesting to see that big time. Yeah, because I think it 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 demonstrates more of a sensitivity among those of us who have kind of shifted that narrative. Because for some of us, that's an artist. He's an artist where we're like, I don't understand. Like four of those records are like desert island discs for me. Like I could not live without yep. them. And yet it's very hard to reconcile that those records with the, the person he is now. But again, if you shift your mentality a little bit, and I'm not, this is not, 
Sorry, it's very hard to defend someone like that, I will say, uh, just given the alignments and whatnot for me. but Totally agree with you. But, but I appreciate that people are like, well, where is that weirdness coming from? What's going on there? And, and I think uh, it's a reckoning we all have. Anyway, I, I, I appreciate your thoughts on it. And speaking of sort of uh, ascending... Are you friendly with Bun B? Like how? What you have collaborated? Oh yeah, yeah. So th- what is that? That must have been a game changing period for you to be like, oh my god! Like I reached. Uh, yeah. How did this relationship start? Let's start there. How did you become friendly with him? So when I was fifteen, I've actually I'm. I think I'm wrong about this. I always say that I was fifteen, but I found a live journal post for my from my youth Mm -hmm. where I talk about this night and I think I might have been more like 17 but anyway I was a teenager and I had my first interview at a local radio station the host is a guy named Matt Sanzala who's an old journalist for for like Murder Dog magazine a lot of like regional rap stuff I went on this radio show it was at nighttime. it's like an underground radio show and it was the 10-year anniversary of the radio show, which is called Damage Control. Mm-hmm. And they were having artists stop by. And I was cold calling the radio host, just like sending him my like group's demos and like just trying to meet him. And he was like, hey, just come on through the radio station. You, you can come on air. I'll talk to you for like a couple minutes and you can play one of your group songs. And when I was leaving, Bun B was there too and he was coming in. And I was like, oh, Bun. Hey, I'm a fan of you. And the radio host was like, "Oh, hey, Bun, you should meet this guy. This like kid. We, I just brought him through, and we took a picture. And after that, for maybe the next five years, every time Bun B had a show or an in-store meet and greet, I would pull up and I'd give him my latest demo. I'd try to take a picture with him." And that's really just like me as a fan, right? Yeah. And I could tell that he was kind of looking at me like, all right, who is this kid? Yeah. And then this one day, once I started playing shows and like making more of a name for myself locally in Houston, I saw him at this show and he was behind the curtain, like, you know, behind the stage. Yeah. And um, he motioned for me to come over there. So I like went through the side of the stage. I went back there and he was smoking a blunt and he was like, yo, you want to smoke with me? And I was like, of course. And we just talked briefly. And it's funny because he was wearing a T-shirt of himself smoking a blunt. <laughs> I actually have a picture of this moment, too. It's like Bun is holding a blunt while he's wearing a shirt with his face on it, smoking a blunt. And I'm next to him in like a ridiculous late 2000s all over print outfit. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Really fitting for that time period. Yeah. But um, after that, I was getting ready to put out my first album, quote unquote. It's called Rabdar Gab. Read a book, do a report, get a book, which was a thing that my school district did when I was a little mm-hmm. kid. And I named that album that just as an homage to my generation of people that grew up in Houston that know what this thing is that happened when we were in elementary school in the late right. 90s. Yeah. Anyway, I'm putting out the album. And Bun B tweets out of nowhere, Fat Tony is Houston's best kept secret. Tell him I told you. Wow. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I so I follow him. And then a few months after that, 
I'm having a birthday party. It's my, how old was that? It's my 22nd birthday party. Mm-hmm. So, so we're, we've like now gone from my late teens to me seeing him at like shows and at meet and greets and at the radio station. So now I'm actually putting out music. I'm in my early twenties and he's tweeting I'm Houston's best kept fucking secret. Wow. I have this birthday party. He comes to my birthday party and he hangs out for hours and I just sit at the bar just talking to him about music, about his come up, what, what, what his life has been like, what his grind was like, you know, things that got him down as an up and coming artist, dealing with money, trying to get people to take you seriously, blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that we talk about that we deal with as up and coming artists. Yeah. And it really inspired me. And from that moment on, I just kept in touch with him. He's he's done a couple songs with me since then, uh, and he's just someone that I turn to if I'm looking for any serious advice about the business. He recommended my first lawyer when I had my first record deal, mm-hmm. and it's really a dream because UGK is hands down my favorite rap group of all time. Yeah. To this day, I still can fall to pieces from some of their songs. Yeah. Their music means so much to me. And to have one of my genuine musical idols consider me a friend or a young person that is worthy of his of his advice or guidance or friendship or collaboration or whatever just makes me feel amazing. It makes me feel like I'm getting all the things I always wanted in music and I'm getting some of the things I never even knew I wanted. Like some of my favorite, one of my favorite phrases is you don't always get the dream you want, but you get the dream you never knew you had. Mm. And I feel like if you could go back in time, I would have never thought to approach Bun B to do a song with me. I would think it's out of reach. I wouldn't, you know, I, I never, left Texas until I made music. I never got on a plane until I made music. I owe so much of my life to music. All my friends, all the places I've seen, all the places I'm about to go, like Guelph, Ontario for the Kazoo Festival. I couldn't do any of this shit if I didn't take a chance making music. So I feel like no matter what's coming next to me, I feel like I'm so lucky. I'm so grateful I'm living the dreams I wanted and the ones I never knew I had. Well, listen, I mean, I appreciate that anecdote, if you will. I appreciate the spirit within it. I appreciate you and your humility, Tony. It's uh, it's really refreshing. And uh, this, as I say, you've released, to my knowledge anyway, and I hope I haven't miscounted, at least six sing- singles in 2022. Uh, you released two albums in 2020, What's next? What's yep. next for you? You said you're an albums person, uh, but yeah. you are you are releasing these singles. What what are you working on right now? So right now, I just wrapped up a new album with the producer Taydex. He produced my Wake Up album, which was the first 2020 album I put out. Yep. We have a new record. I just finished writing it. Just finished recording it. We're mixing it now. It sounds fucking crazy good. <laughs> I'm working on a project with the producer Paul White. Who you might know for working with Danny Brown and Open mm-hmm. Mike Eagle. Yep. And I'm working on a project with this rapper from Jersey named Fat Boy Sharif. And it's going to be produced by our buddy Still Tip Dove. So I am 
steady working on some new projects and I'm digging through the archives for songs like Open Book that never got a chance to come out. Songs from that I've been working on over the last five years that I think really feel appropriate for right now. And I plan to keep rolling that music out nice. from now until forever. That's amazing. And so, yeah, as we're speaking, you've got Kazoo Fest uh, coming up uh, uh, in the mid-July. I'll put links and stuff to everything in the podcast description. Do you have other tour dates coming up? Yeah, I'm actually going on tour this fall with Weedus, the oh. band who is famous for their song Teenage Dirtbag, which is another trip because <laughs> when I was a kid in middle school and that song came out in the year 2000, I used to record on video cassette the music video off TV and watch it over and over and over. The song was so catchy. I thought it was so funny. I loved the song. And now in the year of our Lord, 2022, I'm going on tour with this band and they just asked me to do a rap verse during Teenage Dirtbag, which is going to be fucking crazy. I'm so excited. Wow. I'm, I mean, there, I, I really think that is something to it that I get to work with people I looked up to are people who made music I loved from Bun B to Murs to Weedus. I feel like every time moments like that happen, I have to think back to my youth and think back to, wow, how would I feel if I could go back in time and tell myself, yo, little kid that wants to be a freaking rapper, you're about to be rapping with some shit you want, you, you couldn't even dream of. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even think that. I don't know. I mean, I just can't. Um, I just can't help but be grateful for it, man. It blows my mind. Blows I hear the gratitude, but but I hear the gratitude and everything you say and do. Uh, I think you you recognize you live a charmed and blessed life. So I just want yeah. you to know, like, it's appreciate. It's it's nice to hear someone acknowledge that these days because um, sometimes we get all up in our feelings and you know wonder why we're not as successful as we are, or whatever. But I I appreciate. It's inspiring, to be honest, to, to hear someone like you who's achieved so much um, actually take stock of it while you're in it, as opposed to at the end of, oh, I stopped doing a thing. Wait a minute, that was pretty good. You know, like I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that about you. So if people want to learn more about you and your work and your tour dates and all that kind of stuff, where on the internet, Tony, would you like to send them? You can go to fattonyrap.net. On FatTonyRap.net, I have all my tour dates. I have links to my merch website. I have links to everywhere you can find my music, like Bandcamp, Spotify. Everything is there. And if you're addicted to social media, you can get me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I'm FatTonyRap everywhere. And if you listen to this and you like it, please DM me. DM me on Twitter. DM me on Instagram. My email is out there in my Instagram and on my website. If you heard me on this episode today, holler at me. Let's have a conversation, man, because I love talking about music. I'm obsessed with it. I'll never let it go. Well, that's that's lovely to hear and, and lovely for you to offer that. That's great. Um, if we can go out on a song by you. I don't know if the new song makes the most sense or not, but it seems like it might. What do you think? Which, if we can go out a song from... You know, a recent song of yours, what would you like to go out on and, and why? I'd like to go out on a song called Je ne sais quoi 
It's from my last album, Exotica. Yep. Je ne sais quoi is a dense poem about redemption and the beauties of life from the mundane to the extraordinary. And I think it really sums up the feeling that we've been having in this episode. Okay. Well, this is good, too, in terms of uh, Canadian content, because French is one of our official languages. So <laughs> Yes, there we go. <laughs> totally appropriate. This is Je ne sais quoi from the excellent record Exotica by Fat Tony. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for making time for me. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did, too, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you so much, man. Much love to you always. This beat has a certain je ne sais quoi uh, With a quality much like dust from a star uh, When I try to describe it so hard The aroma is like coming out of coma And the moment that you smell your wife Remembered how you know her Out in Arizona Staring at a cactus in the desert Standing taller than a sculpture at the MoMA Feels like the wheel of the first car you own Tastes like the first meal in your new home after 50 years, no smoke And since the last pack, you ain't had a call for a sore throat You put it all on the line, but you went flat broke Met me, got a job, now you're back on your feet This beat has a certain je ne sais quoi uh, With a quality much like dust from a star uh, It's like taking her home and removing her bra uh, when I try to describe it so hard, it's like you and your boy sharing one bedroom as the lights flicker. He shares the last piece of food. Long day at work, got you stressed and you mad, but you come home. Son says you're the best dad, and it ain't a regular thing that occurs. It's that motherfucker's very first words. Two nights, Las Vegas, first night, lost everything. Second night, one big, bought her a wedding ring. You put it all on the line and you thought you went broke. But the taste of the feet ain't on the menu this week. This beat has a certain je ne sais quoi. Uh, with a quality much like dust from a star. Uh, from the heavens above to right where you are. When I try to describe it so hard, it's like Seeing your wife become a mother You're reminded why you love her that hike Out in Arizona, staring at a waterfall Savoring the moment, feels like the grip of the first bike you owned Tastes like the first meal when you came home After 50 years in a cell, got a second chance Now you can finally exhale you put it all on the line, but you went flat broke Met me, got a job, now you're back on your feet This beat has a certain je ne sais quoi uh. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Very, 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 very special thanks to Fat Tony for appearing on this, the 701st episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you can't find an episode that you've heard about it, people are talking about it. Oh, words on the street. Have you heard this episode from a while back? And you can't find it uh, on your favorite uh, pod player. Or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, which I'm behind on by a month or two, sorry, Please visit vishkana.com and that should help you with all of those things. You can also like Creative Control on facebook.com if you want to do that. You can also follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or you can follow me directly on Twitter and and on Instagram. I can't say and enough. At vishkana on Instagram and Twitter. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going this is the primary source of dough is your dough nations for this podcast there's a little bit of ad money that trickles through surely you've heard some of these ads that sometimes pop up on the show the rest is kind of in-kind sponsorships or what have you and i'll get to those in a minute but you out there listening you really keep the show's coffers full six dollars or more a month grants you access to exclusive content Actually, someone I noticed this the other day, they uh, donated $6 and then immediately uh, got rid of it because they wanted to access an exclusive. That's what their note said about their exit survey. And they just got out. Like, they got in, got what they wanted, and got right out. I was It's diabolical. I didn't think you could do that, but they, I guess you can. I'm not trying to give you ideas. What I'm saying is $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. Some of it derived from these fresh interviews that I do. Some of them... Uh, where I dig into my old archive of interviews that precede this podcast. And uh, that's the exclusive content right now. If you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, you can also message me on Patreon, and I'll get you one while supplies last. It's $6 or more a month. Yeah, sure, but you can do whatever you want. A dollar a month, $3 a month, $10, $20 a month. Whatever suits you, and you can change it at any point. Patreon.com slash Creative Control for more info there. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. Also, thanks to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Fat Tony. 
and for subscribing to this podcast or following it, telling your friends about it, and spreading the word. Go listen to Fat Tony. I gotta go. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.